welcome to another inspirational message from Brave Church UK. Well, it's great to see you this morning. Didn't the, the worship team, didn't they do a great job leading us this morning? Appreciate them. So thankful for that. If this uh, is your first time, we just want to give you a really warm welcome. If you're a regular here, then uh, you're welcome as well. Uh, we're so thankful that you've chosen as a part of your weekend to come and spend some of that time, that precious time of your weekend in the family of God. And that's just an awesome thing, isn't it? And uh, it's great to see you here. It's also honoring to God and we're so thankful for that. It's a special morning for us in, uh, in different ways. This morning, we're starting a new look at a book in the Bible, but also uh, a little bit later on, we're going to be commissioning our, our staff team. So as part of a staff there and, and part of the church, there are some people who are, who are new to us. There are other people who are taking on different positions of leadership within the, the church. And it's good for us to commission them and to pray over them together, to stand with them as a church family. That's a good thing, isn't it? And uh, so we're going to get to do that a little bit later on. But also we're starting a, a look at a, at a book in the, in the New Testament portion of, of the Bible called Ephesians. Ephesians. So if you've got your Bibles and you want to turn there, and that we're going to be reading a couple of verses together in just a moment. And we're going to take our time looking through this book over the next few weeks on the lead up to Christmas. Can you believe Christmas is just around the corner. And uh, we're going to be looking at, at this book and the lead up to that. We're going to take our time. We're going to get an in-depth look at um, this book, which is going to be fantastic. I don't know about you, uh, whether you've got kids or whether you've observed this about kids, but uh, they reach a, a stage in their development where they begin to say a word that sends shivers down a parent's spine. They go from being this cute, adorable, dependable um, baby that you just love to cuddle and love to, love to take care of to a mini person. And they start to develop their own character. They start to develop their own personality. And they start to ask this particular question about everything that you say to them and everything in their lives. And the question is this, why? Why? Uh, and it can be asked uh, on, a, on a number of different levels. It can ask, be asked in response to a question. It can be asked in response to a statement. Literally, you say, can you put on your shoes? Why? Can you brush your teeth? Why? Did you have fun at school today? Why? Why, why are you asking that question? Why? Uh, we're we're going to go out. Why? Where are we going? Why? It's just, just every response it seems to be. Uh, get ready to go to bed. Why? Why, why do I have to go to bed? Um, I, I think uh, you can carry, you're old enough to carry your own bag now. Why? Why? And I think no matter how cute it is um, in the early stages when, you, when you're raising kids, and, and it's kind of like you take on that parental role and responsibility of, oh, I'm going to take the time to explain to my children why, because it's part of their development. And I think really early on, it's like, yeah, I'm, I'm helping them understand why. But then in the morning when you're rushing, and when you're trying to get their hair done and you're trying to get their uniform on and you know you've got to get them to school on time and you know you've got to get to work on time and you've got an appointment to go to and you've got things to do in your day and you're asking them just to get their bags and just to get their lunch and just to get the stuff ready, get their coats on and every time you ask them, they're saying why. Every parent has said this at some point. Can you just do what I'm asking you to do without asking why? When we look at uh, the book of Ephesians, the book of Ephesians is six chapters long, and it's separated into two segments. 
The first three chapters, chapters 1, 2, and 3, they, they focus on belief and doctrine. The, the second three chapters, chapters 4, 5, and 6, they focus on action and behavior. How, as a follower of Jesus, we should act and we should behave. The Apostle Paul spends, who writes this book, we're going to get onto in just a moment, spends the first three chapters of the book of Ephesians explaining why before he gets to what. In fact, it's part of our development, didn't it, as people, that we would understand why. In fact, it's a good sign in your children that they're curious, that they're beginning to understand cause and effect, and that they're wanting to grapple with meaning. They want to understand why so they can understand what. And the Apostle Paul shows us this in Ephesians. He shows us that before he can get on and talk to the church about how they should behave as followers of Jesus, he wants them to understand just what it means and what Jesus did. He focuses on doctrine before he gets to behavior. He focuses on belief before he tells them how to behave. And I think sometimes as as Christ followers, sometimes even as church, we expect people to behave in a certain way without teaching them why that matters. And so we're going to take our time as we journey through this book. We're going to look at the first three chapters initially, and then we're going to move on to, to the next three over the course of the next few months. And we're going to focus on the why And then we're going to get to the what. Is that cool? The book of Ephesians has been referred to as this by by some scholars. It's been referred to as the the mini course in theology centered around the church. It's rich in meaning, rich in depth. In fact, it has some similarities with the book of Romans. The book of Romans is more extensive and explains to us the the fullness of the Christian life and what it means and who Jesus is and and, and to get our belief and our thinking right. But the Ephesians is like a a mini course of of Romans. It's it's a mini shot of theology. Uh, And we're going to kind of intro into this book today. We're going to just look at two verses right at the beginning of the book. Is that cool? So if you've got your Bibles also, you can get it on on your version notes. You can follow along. It says this in Ephesians chapter 1, starting at verse 1. It says, Paul an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God to God's holy people in Ephesus, the faithful in Christ Jesus. He goes on verse two, he says this, grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Just a small introduction by Paul into the book, but actually gives us so much information and so much rich material to just begin to pick over. First of all, the first bit of information that we get, and, and our prayer is, as, as in this context, whenever we approach the Scriptures, or whenever you do it in your own time, that God would, would reveal something to you of Himself, and that you would grow in your knowledge of Him. So that's our aim in this series. And straight away we find out, just from the intro into the book, we find out the author of the book is Paul. That under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, Paul has written this book to the Ephesians. Now, I'm not assuming in here this morning that all of you are familiar with Paul. So let's just just unpack Paul just for a second. Who was Paul? In fact, the Bible introduces us to Paul, and he's given another name when he's introduced to us in the book of Acts. He's called Saul. And Saul, when he's introduced to us, he's introduced, he's a devout Jew. He's a Hebrew. And actually, his, his life's mission is to persecute Christians. In fact, the, the book of Acts tells us that he's, he's at the scene when, when an early follower of Jesus by the name of Stephen is murdered. He's stoned to death for being a, a Christian, for believing in Jesus. You thought you had problems. 
and he's stoned to death. And Paul is stood there, the Bible tells us, he stood there carrying the coats. He, it's his life's mission. In fact, he's, he's on such a mission that he, he asks for permission to go to Damascus. And he's going to go to Damascus and find any followers of the way, any Christians he can, and he's going to imprison them. That's his mission. And, and Acts chapter 9 tells us that as he's on his way to Damascus to persecute these Christians, to find them, to seek, and to destroy. That's his mission. That on the way, literally, he has an encounter with Jesus that changes his life altogether. The, the, the book of Acts chapter 9 tells us that he comes into contact with Jesus. He sees Jesus, the resurrected Jesus before him. He hears Jesus. Think about this. This is, this is the, 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 the figure that you've been persecuting. The followers of him, you've been putting in prison and you've been happy to see them die. And all of a sudden, he's showing himself to you. And it changes Paul's life forever. Literally, he has this mammoth encounter with Jesus. He goes to Damascus. He's baptized. And straight away, he's had his encounter with Jesus. It tells us that he goes into the synagogues and he's into the streets. And he wants to tell as many people as he can about the Jesus that he used to persecute, but now he believes in because he's encountered for himself. I don't know if you're in here today and you've got a past. I don't know, some, some perceptions we have sometimes of, of the things we've done, the places we've been, the things we thought, the, the actions that we've carried out, somehow remove us from being able to have a relationship with a loving, all-powerful God. But actually, the Apostle Paul shows us, his life shows us, that you've never too far gone. There's nothing that you've done. There's nothing that you could do. There's nothing, no place that you've been that God can't redeem. And God takes this man, this man who's, who's, who's literally, he's murdering, he's, he's breathing out murderous threats against God's people. And he takes him and he turns him around and uses him. One of the most influential figures in the first century church and beyond. Think about this. We're opening up the Bible to read what he had to say to this church today. So if you've ruled yourself out, I want to encourage you to change your mind today. Because when God's ruled you in, when God begins to work in your life, when God reveals himself to you, there's nothing that can stand in the way. Uh, and the book of Acts tells us that, that he changes his name, that there's a point, there's a moment in history where Paul decides he's going to be called Paul rather than Saul. You see, Saul, when we're introduced to him, Saul is his Hebrew name. It means desired or to pray. Sounds pretty holy, doesn't it? Sounds pretty pretentious. Desired or to pray. And it tells us there's a moment where, where he, Saul decides, I'm no longer going to be called Saul. I'm going to use my Latin name. I'm going to use my Roman name, Paul. See, see his, his father was a Roman citizen. And so he had two names. He had the choice of two names. Saul, which means desired or pray. Or Paul, which means, get this, little or small. And the scholars tell us that, that actually he chooses the name Paul because he understands that his life mission is to take the message of God to people who do not know God. It's more accessible, Paul. It's his Roman name. But also I think there's an element of, of Paul begins to understand that in comparison to God, he is little or small. And now his life is going to be lived in service of the God that he's encountered. So the, 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 the epistle opens up telling us that it's written by Paul. And then he says this. He introduces himself by name. And then he introduces what God's called him to. He says, I'm an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God. I'm an apostle 
of Christ Jesus by the will of God. The word apostle literally means this. It means one sent forth from another to accomplish or represent. In fact, cargo ships in, in days gone by would have called their vessels apostolic because they were dispatched with a specific shipment for a specific destination. This is Paul saying, I have been, I've been chosen to, with, a, with a specific message and a specific mission in mind. A good parallel of, of the word apostle that's used in scripture is our English word ambassador, someone to represent. Paul is now a representative of Jesus Christ himself. And his message and his mission is this. This is, if this is not in your notes, write this down. This is his message. The grace of God is for all people. The grace of God is available for all people. In fact, in the New Testament, there are only 13 individuals that are referred to as an apostle. You've got the 12 disciples, and then you've got Paul. And, and these certain things made them distinct, made them qualified to be apostles. These are in your notes. The first thing is this, all of them were called personally by Jesus. All of them called personally by Jesus. Secondly, all were witnesses to his resurrection. Literally, the, the 12 disciples had witnessed the, the resurrected Jesus in front of them. And Paul on the road to Damascus saw the physical resurrected Jesus in front of them, which qualified him to be an apostle. The third thing is this, they were given direct revelation by Jesus. In other words, Jesus directly told them what to do. That's pretty cool, isn't it? That the person of Jesus literally told them what to do. And the last thing is this, they carried authority for local churches and over the whole believing world. They, they carried God's, they were God's method, God's way of ordering and structuring the early church. What, what you can notice from the first verse is this, that Paul's not just drawing attention to the fact that he's an apostle and he's chosen, but he's, he's drawing attention to the one who's chosen him. He said, I'm not, just, I'm not just any old apostle. I'm not just someone who wants a title. I'm an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God. In other words, he he's, lives a God-centered life. The focus is on what God called him to. Acts chapter 9 tells us that Paul's called. This is what it says in Acts chapter 9, verse 15. It says, But the Lord said to Ananias, Go, this man, speaking of Paul, is my chosen instrument to proclaim my name to the Gentiles and their kings and to the people of Israel. A little bit later on this morning, we're going to be commissioning our staff. We're going to be praying over our staff and we're going to be commissioning them. And what we're doing is we're saying that just like there was a call on the Apostle Paul for a specific task and for a specific time, there's a call on these individuals. That it's a different anointing and it's a different call, but it's an anointing and it's a call nonetheless. And the same's not true just over the staff as we pray. And if you're a follower of Jesus in here today, the same's true for you. That God's called you, designed you, and has a specific part to you, for you to play in his church and in this world, Paul, chosen by Jesus himself, called to be an apostle. He says this, he says, I'm an apostle called by the will of God. The word that's used for will there literally means God's pleasure, God's delight. I think some of us who've been around church a, a, a little bit, we think well, when we're submitting to the will of God, it's, it's almost like we're being forced to do something we don't want to do. I'm surrendered to it. 
Actually, the word that's used is delight and pleasure. So this is God's delight and pleasure to call Paul, and it's Paul's delight and pleasure to be involved in what God has called him to. God takes delight in what he's called you to. And he wants you to take delight in what he's called you to too. He says this, he says that this, address, this letter is addressed to God's holy people. The holy people of God. Some translations say this, to the saints in Ephesus. To the saints in Ephesus. In other words, if you know Jesus in here today, you are one of God's holy people. Turn to the person next to you and say, you're holy. You are holy. Turn back to him and say, I don't feel like it. I definitely don't feel like it. See, what, what Paul's referring to is he's referring to their standing, not their state. Now, I know that each and every one of us would say, oh, man, I've got some stuff in my life. I'm messed up. I'm dysfunctional. There's some stuff that God's got to work on in me. That's your state. That's the state you're in. But your standing is you are holy. When you come into contact with God and when you accept all that Jesus has done and when you're forgiven from your sins, you are holy in God's sight. You are a saint. It's, it's a little bit like you are put into the, the washing machine the moment you come into contact with Jesus. You go through God's washing machine of grace. Now, I don't know about your house. and I should imagine your house is similar to mine. On the washing pile, on the dirty washing pile, there are all different kinds of clothes. There are school uniforms. There are work clothes. There are pajamas. There are, there are slacks. There are, there are the stinky, sweaty sports gear. True? Dif different clothes, but all of them set apart for the same destination. They're headed to the washing machine. And when they've gone through the washing machine, guess what? Different clothes, same destination, same result. Clean. You might be in here today, you're thinking, man, I look around and, and they look like they've got it all together and they've not been where I've been and they've not done what I've done and they, don't, they can't identify with me because they've, they've not been through the stuff I've been through. Listen, you might be different, but you need to head to the same destination. Each and every one of us needs to be washed in the forgiveness that God offers. And literally, this is what happens. This is what Paul's saying to the church in Ephesus. When you go through God's washing machine of grace, you come out clean. No matter what you were like before, you come out clean. In God's sight, your standing now is holy and set apart. And you've got, to, you've got to remember, Paul's writing this to the church in Ephesus. The church in Ephesus, most of them, before they came into contact with Jesus, had no knowledge of God. No knowledge of who God was. They'd given themselves to all kinds of stuff. They'd worshipped all kinds of idols. They'd done some crazy things. And we're going to talk a little, about, a little bit about what, what happened and took place in Ephesus. And yet Paul's reminding them, hey, you've been washed. Before we get on to talking about anything else, I want to remind you, church in Ephesus, you are holy. You are set apart. And maybe, maybe some of us need reminding afresh today, you are holy. 
You've been set apart. You might feel like you're filthy, but you've been washed. You've been forgiven and you've been set free. Here's what one commentator says about the word saints, the word holy. He says, saints is is a word at which we all shudder a little. We don't like to be called saints because we have such a plaster idea of what a saint is. We think of them being so unreal, so beautific, so holier than we, so unlike ordinary human beings. But the saints of the New Testament are not that way. They are people like us. Saints are people who are beset with struggles and difficulties, who have disturbances at home, problems at work, and troubles everywhere else. They're normal people, in other words. But one thing is remarkable about them. They are different. That is really the basic meaning of the word saint. In the Greek, it is a word derived from the word for holy. And holy means distinct, different, whole, belonging to God, and therefore living differently. You have been set apart. You are holy. And when you get that into your belief, you'll start to live differently. If you try and live differently without first recognizing you're already set apart and already holy, you're on a loser. But we've been set apart, chosen. And Paul wants the church in Ephesus to understand. He says to God, holy people in Ephesus. Ephesus was, was literally rivaled Corinth as the filth capital of the Roman Empire. It is located in, in, May, in, in Asia Minor, modern day Turkey. And before Paul writes this letter, one day, once upon a time, it was known as a port city. And it was literally dependent upon the trade that came in and out of the city. But all that is gone. When Paul writes his letter in the first century, what, what set the city apart was their worship of a god called Artemis. They had a temple at the center of the city for the god Artemis. The, the god Artemis was worshipped. She was the god of fertility, of wildlife. And the whole city, in fact, the temple of Artemis was listed in the, one of the seven wonders of the world. The city had become known for this temple. It was, it was literally a tourist, temple, te- temp- uh, tourist city. And the whole city was, was benefiting, prosperous, because of the, tr- the trade and the tourism that took place in that city. And part of, part of your worship of the god Artemis, literally part of your worship, think about this, was to have sex with temple prostitutes. That was an act of worship. So people would travel from all over the known world and they would come to this city to worship Artemis and to see the wonder of this temple. And there would be houses that surrounded the temple full of prostitutes that you would pay to be with as part of your worship of this God. This is a city that has issues. Sounds a little bit like today, doesn't it? This is a city known for its filth. And Paul writes to a people in a city that's known for its filth. And he says, you are holy. He wants to remind them of their standing with God so that they can stand up against the schemes of the enemy. He says, you are God's holy people. The people of Ephesus. In other words, what Paul's trying to say is the saint is like a boat. The boat's purpose is fulfilled when it's in the water. But its function and usefulness deteriorates when the water gets in the boat. So too for saints. Too much of the world when it gets in us. The saints 
must keep their vessels in the water of this world, but not let the water of the world get into their vessel. Here's what Paul's beginning to unpack for the church in Ephesus. You might be in Ephesus, but Ephesus doesn't have to be in you. You might live in this world, but the world doesn't have to be in you. Because you are holy. You are God's chosen people. You are the faithful in Christ. It's a term that Paul uses over and over again throughout the New Testament that now you know Jesus, you are in Christ. In other words, you are part of the family. In Christ describes your eternal, uh, eternal dwelling. The temporal dwelling that you live in is this world, but your eternal dwelling is in Christ. You now live in him. It's like my family. My family name is Jewedon. There's four of us. There's me and my wife and there's my two children. All of us completely different, but we're connected by one name, our family name. And actually, when you know anything about being a part of a family, that you're not just connected by name, you start to take on their nature, don't you? Isn't it, isn't it scary that as you get older, you start acting in ways, not just saying things, but acting in ways that your mum and dad used to act in? And you start thinking this, when you say something, you, you, like, you say it to your kids or you say it in interaction, and then you have this thought, this internal go dialogue that goes, oh no, oh no, I'm just like my dad. Oh no, that's just what my mum would say. And the crazy thing is, as you watch your kids beginning to grow up before your eyes, you see that they're now taking on your nature too. That they do things and they say things. Seth says this, when he's playing on his computer games and it's not going well, he says, what the stink? What the stink? We say that all the time. What the stink? Or this, he's got a sarcastic wow now. So if you ask him, what, if you ask him to do something or, or you say, hey, you need to come off that computer now, it's time for bed, he'll go, Wow. And, and we'll say to each other, that's you. That's you. You're showing, not just in name, but in nature. What Paul's trying to get them to understand is once you come into Christ, you're not just connected to his name. You're connected to his nature. And you share, not just, not just in his death, but you share as heirs in his resurrection and his redeeming work. You are in Christ. I don't know about you, but that encourages me today. I'm not just holy, I'm not just a saint, I'm not just set apart, even though I don't feel like it. But now I'm connected to a name that's bigger than my name. And I'm taking on the nature of a God who's worthy of my worship and worthy of my service. That's a good place to say, amen. Amen. Band, I'm going to invite you to come. I'm going to get ready to finish in just a moment. He, he says this, he goes on, verse number two. He says, when you understand you are holy, when you are set apart, when you are a saint, when you understand that you might be in Ephesus, but Ephesus doesn't have to be in you. He says, here's the benefit for you living in Christ. Here's the benefit. Are you ready? He says, grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Grace and peace. In other words, when you are in Christ, you are the recipient, the beneficiary of grace and peace. They're yours. Grace and peace will sustain you, is what he says. Grace is the foundation. Peace is the result. A little bit corny, a little bit cheesy. Someone said this, no grace, no peace. No grace, no peace. 
In other words, when you come into contact with Jesus, you know the grace of God. And as a result of knowing the grace of God, you can know it is accessible to you, the peace of God. You can't have peace without grace. Grace comes first. Grace, then peace. No grace, no peace. Grace is the fountain. Peace is the stream. Here's here's a descriptor of grace. Grace is the undeserved, unmerited favor of God. It's his enabling power to overcome. He's transforming, energizing enablement to live supernaturally. I don't know about you. In this world, in this life, I need some power to live how God's called me to live. I need power to say no to the things I should say no to and yes to the things I should say yes to that'll benefit my life. That's what grace is. Grace is not just forgiveness. It's an enabling quality to do what you ought to do and be who you ought to be. I don't know about you. I want some grace. I need some grace. Here's what peace is. Peace means this, to bind together something that is broken. To set at one again. Anyone broken in here? Anyone know that your life is just shattered into pieces? You are broken. Here's what what grace does. Grace empowers you. Here's what peace does. Peace puts you back together again. You've got to to get some grace and you've got to get some peace. It's the word used at the root in English for our word serenity. Which means, listen to this, clear and free of storms and stress. Peace is health. Peace is well-being. And peace is the prosperity of your soul. It's a waste of your time and your energy to try and have, maintain and grasp hold of peace without first knowing the grace of God. First grace, then peace. I read a story just as we finish and we get ready to pray. I read a story this week that illustrates this point. It's about the winter games that took place about 10 years ago in in Japan. And the, the whole winter games, they had to close down for three whole days because a storm had ensued. It had come in and it had ravaged the mountain. They had to shut everything down. And while they're waiting for the games to restart, they noticed that in the midst of this storm, there was a group of trees up on the top of the hill that seemed to be untouched. Everything else was ravaged, but these trees were untouched by the storm. In fact, when you looked at these trees, these these trees were still blossoming and still in bloom. In the midst of the storm, and this piqued people's interest, so what they did is they went up to the, the trees and they dug around the trees and they found out there was volcanic activity taking place underneath the trees. And that the trees from an unseen place were drawing strength and heat that meant that no matter what was going on around them in their environment, their environment was healthy. And so they appeared untouched to anything around. What Paul's saying is when you're in Christ, when you're part of the family, when you embrace Him, you can have as a gift, you can have it, grace and peace. Peace doesn't mean an absence from the storm. It means a prosperity in the storm. It means that from a source source within, you can draw strength and health and vibrancy from being in Christ. That's the end of this week's podcast. We hope that it inspired you. For any more information, visit braychurch.co.uk.